Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And remember, you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, GoodPod, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Pandora, wherever you get your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, and on TikTok as Let's Talk Micro. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, follow me on social media, leave a review, especially, you know, if you download an episode and if your, you know, your app allows you to leave a review, go ahead and please do so. You know, that's always really good for the podcast. On social media, I always like to post pictures of organisms and give updates as to when the next episode is coming out. And I also have an email address, which is lesstalkmicro at outlook.com. So if you have any topic suggestions, you know, feel free to leave those over there. You know, email me, you know, any feedback, any suggestions, they are always welcome and appreciated. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode, go ahead and do so. You know, it was a great episode with Dr. Madeline Barron. You know, she's a, a correspondent at ASM. She writes articles for them. Pretty cool job, you know, doing research, putting great information out there. So she joined the podcast on that episode. Talk about microbes in your cleaning appliances and tools. You know, that's something that you might think about or might not think about. So sometimes, you know, your sponge, you know, sometimes, you know, it gets that smell and you throw it out. You know, you microwave it, maybe get a new one. You know, th you know, things like your dishwasher, your washing machine. So what kind of microbes do we see there? Your showers. You know, she even talks about rubber duckies. So it was a great episode to know about, you know, what kind of microbes. You know, you have viruses, you have bacteria. So definitely, it was very interesting to learn and get familiarized with, with what kind of microbes, you know, you see in these cleaning tools and appliances. You know, she also gives advice on how to properly clean, you know, clean those devices, you know, those appliances. And what does that mean for our health? You know, should we, should we be alarmed or should we not? It was a great episode. So if you haven't checked it out, go ahead and do so. So today's episode is about bacillus. So those of you out there in the public, you know, in the audience that enjoy the type of episodes where I talk about organisms, you know, biochemicals and reactions. Well, this episode is definitely for you. So today we're going to be talking about bacillus. And those of you that work in microbiology, you're familiar with bacillus. And those of you that might just be starting to study micro might have heard of a species of bacillus, which is bacillus anthracis, which causes anthrax. So even if you're not familiar with bacillus, you know, at the very least, you know, maybe hearing in the news, maybe reading about it, but you have heard about anthrax, and that is caused by bacillus anthracis. And bacillus anthracis it has the potential of being used as a bioterror agent. And even though fortunately, we might never see it in our careers, right? We really hope so. We are trained on how to recognize it in the lab. And you remember the episode about Yersinia pestis? For those of you that have not checked it out, go ahead and do so. It is episode 65, and it is titled Yersinia pestis. In that episode, I talk about Sentinel Labs, and I also talk about the laboratory preparedness exercise, which is LPX, right? So how we are, you know, we are training the lab to recognize these organisms and what to do, 
you know, you have a, a different like a, a flow chart where, where you do some biochemicals, some testing, and then if you are unable to roll out a certain organism, then you go ahead and notify, you know, your, your health department, your state health department, and then you send that suspect organism. I mean, you let them know, I suspect, you know, your senior pestis, I, I suspect bacillus anthracis, and you properly package the organism, and then you send it to that lab to either, you know, rule in or rule out that organism. So definitely, if you want to, you know, refresh, you know, get a refresher on that information, definitely go ahead and check out that episode, which is episode 65. But definitely, you know, the same process that you use for your senior pestis, you know, you also use it for bacillus anthracis. You notify the state lab, you send a sample for confirmation. But however, bacillus anthracis is going to have its own episode. So let's go ahead and talk about bacillus. So bacillus is a genus that belongs to the order Bacillalis and family Bacillaceae. With molecular advances, bacteria that were previously classified as bacillus, they have been reclassified. Many have been renamed to be consistent with a proposal that the bacillus be reserved for organisms belonging to the bacillus series and subtilis groups. And there are many genera that are related. However, about 5% of the isolates are of clinical significance. And the most common genera that we see in the lab, you know, there are bacillus, panibacillus, brevibacillus, and lysinibacillus. And there are several bacillus groups. And those of you that work in micro, you're familiar with the term group, right? This is something that you hear in microbiology. You know, you, you hear the word group. You also hear the word complex. And this is, you know, a, a group of, you know, a, a group or a complex is definitely, it's some organisms that they are very similar and then they are put together in a group. Those of you that work in micro, can you think of some groups? Well, right, you have, for example, you know, examples are Enterobacter cloacae complex, which is comprised of, right, you have Enterobacter cloacae, Enterobacter cobi, Enterobacter absurii. You also have, you know, you have heard of the Burkholderia cepacea group. You know, you also have, and this one I have, I have talked about and made some episodes in this podcast, you know, the Staph aureus complex, where you have, you know, Staph aureus, Staphylococcus argentus, Staphylococcus singaparensis. You know, when you go to anaerobes, you have the Bacteroides fragilis group. So definitely this is something very common. Several organisms, and they are put together under one group or a complex. So this, this happens for bacillus. So you have several groups. And they are bacillus series group, B circulants group, and B subtilis groups. And the other genera that I mentioned, you know, panibacillus, brevibacillus, lysinibacillus, they are closely related. So bacillus, you know, they are aerobic, facultative, anaerobic, spore-forming rods. And an interesting fact about spores is that bacillus is the only clinically relevant species that can produce spores in the presence of oxygen. And these spores, they may appear intra or extracellularly. And those of you that have seen gram stains of bacillus, you know this. You know, you see, a, you see the spores as a clear area in the cell. And there's also a procedure where you use malachite green to visualize the spores. And in this procedure, the spores look green and the cell looks pink. 
And did you know that in the lab, the spores can actually be induced in the organism? Well, you know, this is something very interesting. So they can be induced by growing the organism in triple sugar iron agar or urea. And they can also be enhanced by performing heat treatment on the organisms. And this is done by incubating the organism at 70 degrees Celsius for 30 minutes or 80 degrees Celsius for 10 minutes. You definitely, if you remember triple sugar iron agar, I did an episode about it. So if you want a refresher, go ahead and check it out. And while we are talking about triple sugar iron, you know, this is something that I, I had some feedback recently as I was promoting episodes in the, in the podcast about, you know, that they don't, they don't see the usefulness basically of, of talking about triple sugar iron agar because, you know, the chemistry is interesting, but in the lab, you know, we really don't use it. And that is true. You know, I haven't used triple sugar iron agar in any of the labs that I've been on. But it definitely provides a nice visual for the students to see, you know, fermentation, you know, gas production. And at the same time, students have to learn about it because they are still tested in, you know, in, in, in their boards, such as like the AACP, American Society for Clinical Pathology. And I am not too familiar with other parts of the world. I mean, I see people using them, so I, I am sure they use them. So we still have to talk about them. Because students, you know, they learn about it in school. So while, you know, definitely we don't use them in the lab as often, we still need to learn about them. Okay, so having said that, let's go ahead and talk about the Bacillus series group. So just like other groups or complexes, this group is made of several species of Bacillus. You know, they are found in the soil and they are widely distributed in nature. As a group, they are associated with infections in immunocompromised patients with diseases such as cancer or diabetes. And healthcare workers are also implicated in transmitting it. So we definitely, as healthcare workers, you know, we have to be careful, right? We have to make sure that we wash our hands, you know, we change gloves. In the lab, you know, sometimes, you know, I see, I see technologists and just, I'm not, I'm not trying to point fingers or just, but I have seen texts, you know, that they do work with our gloves. And uh, so we have to be careful, right? So even if, if you see patients or if you don't, like we do in the lab, you know, we just work with the samples. We have to make sure, right, that we wash our hands properly. We use our PPE. We disinfect areas. And this is very important because, you know, healthcare workers, unknowingly, a lot of times, you know, we, we can transmit organisms to the patients. And that is not good. And now, nowadays, especially in an, in an era where we have our phones on all the time that we're using it, I mean, I have seen people using their phones while transporting patients. We're doing all sorts of tasks. So we have to make sure also that that device is properly disinfected. Other infections of the Bacillus series group, they include the, the urinary and respiratory tract. And then, you know, Bacillus series and anthracis are two members of the Bacillus series group. And like I said, I will talk about anthracis by itself. So let's go ahead and talk about Bacillus series. So what's associated with it? Well, you know, those of you that are medical laboratory scientists, you know, either students or have graduated already, might be saying the answer a lot right now, you know, fried rice poisoning. And you will be correct. You know, this type of poisoning, you know, like a illness, food illness, is associated with different foods such as meats, vegetables, and milk 
among others. It is referred to as fried rice poisoning because a high number of cases are seen following rice ingestion. As far as symptoms, diarrhea and abdominal pain are experienced within 8 to 16 hours. Other symptoms are nausea and vomiting within 1 to 5 hours. And Bacillus cereus produces certain toxins that are implicated in the diarrheal infection. And these are hemolysin BL, non-hemolytic enterotoxin, and cytotoxin K. And there is a toxin that is associated with the nausea and vomiting. It is heat-stable and acid-resistant, and it is called cerulite. Another disease associated with Bacillus cereus is endophthalmitis, and this is an infection of the tissues or fluids inside the eyeball, and this can cause permanent damage. Another member of the Bacillus cereus group is Bacillus thuringiensis, and this one can also produce the cerulite enterotoxin. An interesting fact is that toxins of Bacillus thuringiensis have been commercialized for insect control, and this is for insects that cause damage in agriculture. Other instances where Bacillus thuringiensis has been recovered are wounds, burns, and pulmonary infections. However, these are rare. Most, spe most species outside of the three I mentioned are generally considered to be opportunistic pathogens with low virulence. They tend to be associated with immunocompromised patients. However, I am going to go ahead and talk a little bit about them. So I'm going to start with the Bacillus subtilis group. So Bacillus subtilis, you know, that has been implicated in cases of food-related illness. With B. subtilis, some isolates that were previously identified as Bacillus subtilis, they have been renamed. And you know how this is, right? As more molecular advances are made, or as different properties and reactions of the organisms are discovered, the names of the organisms change, right? Can you think about some, some name changes? Well, definitely in this field recently, and you know, fairly recently, Klebsiella aerogenes used to be Enterobacter aerogenes. You know, remember Propionibacterium acnes? It used, it's now Cutibacterium acnes. So definitely you see a lot of name changes. I mean, and those, the old school texts, you know, the ones that have been working for 30 years, you know, they say, sometimes, you know, they joke saying, in my day, everything used to be called Pseudomonas. And you know what? It might not be that far, right? You remember like Burkholderia cepacea used to be called Pseudomonas cepacea. So definitely the name changes in microbiology, they are very common. So there are reports of B. subtilis, you know, be, being implicated in pneumonia, bacteremia, and septicemia. However, it is difficult to prove it that, you know, that some of those cases are actually from B. subtilis because of this, you know, the, it, it been renamed. And then two other members of the Bacillus subtilis groups, group, there are Bacillus lichenniformis and B. pumulus. Bacillus lichenniformis has been associated with complications of surgery and medical devices. Bacillus subtilis and Bacillus lichenniformis are also associated with endophthalmitis. Diseases associated with B. pumulus are septicemia, anthrax-like infections, and septic arthritis in immunocompetent children. As far as members of the Bacillus circulans group, some have been implicated in cases such as bacteremia, endocarditis, and wound infections, among others. 
So before we talk about morphology and biochemicals, let's go ahead and talk about spores. So these spores or endospores are spores that are produced within the mother cell. And the purpose of this, you know, the spores is survival. You know, the organism produces them in conditions where, you know, conditions that are less than ideal, such as extreme temperatures, lack of nutrients, or drying. And they can survive in extreme conditions and can resist disinfectants. And I mentioned earlier that healthcare workers have been implicated in the transmission of bacillus. So, well, the spores of bacillus cereus are resistant to disinfectants and have been traced to contaminated gloves, gowns, dressings, and even hospital equipment. So, like I continue to keep saying, definitely very important, right? Changing gloves, making sure that, you know, if you're if your lab coat, you change it regularly, you know, especially if you see that it's visibly soiled, you know, change it. Gloves always disinfecting your areas. Make sure that, you know, keep your phone away. So definitely, you know, we have to be careful, right? Because we can definitely, especially if you work with patients, you have to be careful because, you know, you can transmit something to them. So you don't want to be that person. It's just, you know, we're here to help the patients. And inadvertently, sometimes, you know, we can cause some damage. So just definitely be careful. So going back to the spores, so now, as I said, they are made for survival. So you have harsh conditions, you know, high temperatures. So everything that the cell needs to, to replicate, you know, it's in the spore and then they survive for a long time. Then you have ideal conditions. And then once again, they, you know, they continue to replicate and resume their normal shape. So this is always very interesting, and it's always very cool when you see them in the microscope, when you see that clearing in the gram stain. So let's go ahead and talk about morphology, media, and biochemicals. Well, you know, bacillus species, they are gram-positive rods, like I mentioned, and you hear terms such as boxy, you know, that's associated with them. And as you know, you have all these terms that you associate with gram stains. I mean, you definitely have some cellular arrangements, right? Like, you know, you have your clusters, you have your tetras, you have your chains. And then when it comes to gram-positive rods, you start using all these descriptions, right? Like lactobacillus, long thin rods, um, listeria, short rods, bacillus, boxy, uh, coronabacterium, Chinese letters. So definitely all these terms, and as you're a student, definitely remember these terms because it will help you when you get case studies for your exams or for your ASCP or any other board that you have to get certified for. So they are called boxy, you know, bacillus, and this is due to their square-ended shape. They are large gram-positive rods, and as far as arrangement, you can see them in chains, singly, or in pairs. And you can get variability with the staining. And for you students out there, what is variability in a gram stain? What do you mean when your organism stains variable? Well, definitely when you stain, you know, when you perform a gram stain, right? Gram positive, so your end product is purple. Gram negative, your end product is pink. So when you have variability, you have a combination of both. You either see some cells that are purple, some cells that are pink, or sometimes, you know, even the one cell that it just has kind of like both colors. So variability is very common with bacillus. So it makes you think, especially when you're a student and you're working on your gram stain technique, 
And those of you that work in micro, you know that this is a process that it takes a while. And I definitely exhort students, you know, and, and, and young techs, and by young, I mean like just out of school that don't have as much experience. Get comfortable with your gram staining technique, you know, you use the manual one. I know nowadays, especially if you're in a large hospital that you have an automated instrument, which is very helpful. When you have a large volume, you can stain several smears at once. But definitely get comfortable with your staining because as everything in microbiology, there's a lot of repetition. And I know that sometimes brand new techs, they jump to the instrument because it will do the job for them. But sometimes, you know, reagents run out, the instrument malfunctions, and then you end up with an unusual stain and you might make a mistake. And the same thing with, you know, with your manual one. You get comfortable by doing it over and over again, but sometimes, you know, you do mess up. Sometimes, you know, smears come under the colorize. Sometimes they come over the colorize. So when you are looking at bacillus, you kind of makes you think that you might have messed it up. And it could be sometimes, you know, maybe if you didn't properly decolorize or, you know, you did it, you added too much, left it on for too long or maybe too little. It could happen. So you end up with a variable smear. But however, with bacillus, this is very normal. And this is because, you know, it can be because the culture is old or because spores are produced. And like I mentioned, the spores appear as an area of clearing. So this means that they don't stain. So a typical classic gram stain of bacillus is large rods, which are actually larger than other organisms that are gram positive rods. So if you are, you know, playing with gram stains and practicing, and if you're taking some sort of lab, some sort of course, and you have, when you're doing gram positive rods, I invite you to go ahead and do combinations, of course. If your instructor doesn't offer that option, definitely ask. You know, I, I encourage students to try combinations, seeing all those rods side by side. So bacillus is definitely larger than, let's say, you know, your listeria, that your cornibacterium. And I will say probably, you know, lactobacillus is, might be longer. But bacillus, you know, they're definitely the size is, is larger than lactobacillus. You know, you get those long, thin rods with lactobacillus. But definitely as far as the how big they are, bacillus is definitely larger than coronabacterium, lactobacillus, and listeria. So definitely, like I mentioned, just keep that in mind. Larger, bigger rods, and then maybe, you know, sometimes, you know, lactobacillus, they can be longer, but they are definitely thinner. And this is something to keep in mind. Associate those morphologies, because like I said, sometimes, especially, it, it helps you think in cases of about, you know, normal flora versus pathogenic, and we are, you are taking an exam. It definitely helps you, you know, when you get a case study and you hear boxy, long thin rods and terms like that. So now that you're familiar with the gram stain, now we have to talk about biochemicals and media, and that's going to be in the next episode. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about bacillus and all the different groups, you know, morphology, gram stain. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. 
Continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's always definitely very important. It will make you better at what you do. Of course, always, you know, educate yourselves, continue learning, you know, studying, but definitely that passion. It makes you better at your job and the patients will benefit. So continue bringing that. As always, you know, thank you for the support. Thank you for listening. You know, good things are going to keep coming your way. I will continue working and bringing more information to you. So as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro until the next time. Bye.